The silence is broken. What about waiting then? How do you feel about waiting? Not many of us enjoy waiting, do we? Something uh, that lots of us are not very good at. I'm not very good at. I'm one of these people, I don't know whether you're like me. You know, if I'm in Sainsbury's or Waitrose or Tesco's or Asda, it doesn't matter which brand of supermarket I'm in, I always seem to choose the wrong queue. Do you find that? You ever had that experience? You know, and e- even, I remember once, you know, you get wise to it, I look at people's trolleys and I think, I wonder whether how many are there, like there's one person in that island. Oh, they haven't got much in that, that trolley. And I did it once, uh, one notable occasion, and uh, there was a, a, a lady with a trolley, and there wasn't that much in it. And I thought, oh, that should be good. Anyway, it turned out in the trolley she had three people shopping and a separate bill for each one. So, you know, actually it was one trolley, but it was three customers. And I thought, oh dear, how is that? You know, and it's even harder when, <laughs> when you really can't get annoyed, or you shouldn't get annoyed. We shouldn't get annoyed anyway, but, or, or show your impatience. A friend and, uh, and I were at a, a match at St. Mary's uh, once, and uh, we were with some other, another couple of guys who were, uh, it's a long story, I won't go into it all, but they were from the, from the, one was in the army and one was in the navy, they were chaplains and we were there at the match with them. And they were very kind of into, right, we'll meet out, they were in different seats, we meet outside a, oh, uh, you know, uh, whatever it was, 2120 kind of thing, and they're very kind of like that. And so me and Dave, who are the opposite, we were on a different part of the stadium, we knew we were going to be late getting out, so uh, we were on the, on the terraces, and I looked across, and there's a huge queue down our way, and just over there, about three on, there was a much smaller queue, so I said, Dave, let's go over there. And we ran and we went over there. Got to that queue. And then when we got there, we realized that that, that was actually the queue for people with mobility difficulties. So, and, and I'm not, you know, and so we, we couldn't kind of push past those people and say, sorry, we've got some army people to meet out. So, you know, it's just, oh, I thought, oh well, you know, I have to be patient. That's right. Because it's right that access is good. But, you know, it's hard to, to deal with. Well, we live in an instant world and waiting can be hard, can't it? And you know, there's a lot of waiting actually in the Bible. We were talking about it in our, our conversation at Life in 3D last Sunday. And there's a lot of waiting, or there can be, particularly as we get into our lives. We seem to be waiting quite a lot. In the week I, I spent some time, I was in Gloucester uh, uh, on my way to a funeral in Buxton in Derbyshire, but that's another long story. Uh, and I spent uh, uh, Thursday night with some friends there, and I was telling uh, this guy, Colin, uh, some of our experience here at the House of Prayer. You know, we've been talking about the House of Prayer. We set it up about two years ago or, or more, wasn't it? Uh, as a daily prayer time, uh, and, uh, you know, not too late to get on it online if you want to be part of it wherever you are around lunchtimes. And I was talking to my friend Colin, telling him about this and how... We set it up inspired by stories from a place in Wales of how as people got praying in a regular place at a regular time, things happened. You know, people would arrive at that place saying, I want to know about God or somehow I'm here and I I want to find out about it. And we we were inspired by these great stories. And I was telling him that, um, you know, we we did it for a year or more and nothing seemed to happen. In fact, I, I was thinking of giving it up because, you know, not many people came in it. But anyway, and it, nothing seemed to happen. And then just after towards two years, things started happening. People would actually, and have, and some of you may even be here, arrive on the church doorstep saying, like somebody did last summer, uh, I've been um, 
involved with some uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, and uh, I've, I've just this was somebody from, from, from mainland China, uh, and you know, I wanted to find out about Jesus, and I found it from these people, and then, then somehow God just told me that that was wrong. What they were, you know, they weren't kind of teaching the truth, and I just knew it, and, and I knew I had to come here. <laughs> And, and uh, I was sharing his story, and he was this guy was baptized, and he, he's gone back to China now. We shared the baptism with the Chinese church. You may remember it. And I said that to my friend Colin, and I said, about two years. And he said, now, that's interesting. If I've heard that once, I've heard it a load of times. His role at the moment is involved with um, setting up and supporting groups of people who pray about mission uh, and sharing the Lord Jesus with Muslims in this country. And um, he said, if I've heard it once, we prayed for about two years and nothing happened. And after two years, things have started to happen. He said, it's almost like a mantra. I hear it all around the place. Waiting. Interesting, isn't it? Don't give up. Well, we're in part two of Zechariah and Elizabeth's story. And they're like the kind of, if I may put it like this, whenever preachers say, if I may say it reverently, it usually means that it's not very reverent, but it's like, like the, the warm-up act, you know, for Christmas. You know, they're, they're the, the kind of, the, the, their story gets us into the, what's going to be happening at Christmas. And we, we were in it last week uh, as well, thinking about uh, Zachariah. And Luke, who writes his gospel, is getting us ready to see the big story in, in the context that it's occurring in. And the context is waiting, waiting. And it's been a lot longer than two years for this couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. They'd been praying, they'd been waiting. It's been a whole marriage for them. And they're old, they're an old couple now. We don't know how old they were, but they were well past the age of having children. And it had been a marriage for them waiting for a child. It would have been a marriage in which they'd been doing the right thing. Uh, and, and being holy, being godly, the, as we saw last week, Zechariah was a priest and he was a, an, a blameless man. And his wife, they were godly people. They were, they were honoring God in their lives and still they didn't have a child. But they weren't getting bitter. They weren't, you know, they weren't kind of giving up on God. They were continuing to be faithful to God. But still they are waiting. It's been maybe, I don't know, 30 years or more. A long time, decades. Now, Zechariah, as we heard last week, is a priest. And so he's on duty in the temple in Jerusalem. And he's there to offer incense before the, the altar of incense. He, he's there actually to pray. He's there to pray on behalf of the people of Israel. And what were the people of Israel waiting for? They were waiting for God to do something. They were waiting to, for God to fulfill his promise that the king would come, that he would break in again to their history and change things. They'd been waiting and waiting and waiting that God would move in as he'd promised. And, they, and, and as Zechariah brought the prayers of the people, almost certainly that would have been one of them. And maybe he mixed in a little bit of his own prayer. And, oh, God, oh, I didn't, why didn't we have that child? And then the angel showed up. Remember that? <laughs> and, and Zechariah, this godly man, he doesn't believe it. How can that happen? He's, how can that? The angel says, you're going to have a son. He's going to be called John. The time for God to work in Israel is now, says the angel. 
Your son John is going to be the prophet who will go before the king that I've promised, says uh, God tells the angel to tell Zechariah. And poor old Zechariah, he just can't believe it. He won't believe it. So he's given nine months to think it over. Silently, in silence, he's not able to say anything. He may have been deaf as well. He may not have been able to hear anything. You know, did you notice in the passage it says they made signs to him? So he's locked into this world of silence and quietness as he thinks about what he's heard. And just like there'd been silence from God in Israel for 400 years. Remember, Jez told us 400 years it had been since God had said anything to the people of Israel. 400 years since the last prophet spoke. There'd been silence and waiting and waiting and waiting and silence and waiting and nothing and nothing. And now the silence is broken. Can you get the feel of it? Can you get the excitement of it? And we've read... What happens in Luke chapter 1? Remember, uh, so the nine months goes by, and uh, Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, does indeed have a child. All the neighbors want to call him Zechariah. They're naming him at the uh, circumcision ceremony. Uh, and uh, he, and uh, his wife says, no, no, he's not. You must call him John. And the neighbor says, don't be ridiculous. There's nobody called John in your family. It's mad. You know, call him, call him after his father, Zechariah. Poor old Zechariah. He can't hear anything. He can't speak. At least he'll have his name on his son. And they didn't say that. They may have said that, you know. And, and then, then they said, well, we'll ask him, says Elizabeth. And he gets a wax, you know, one of those. They had them uh, tablets. that have been, been a, a piece of board with, with wax on it. And he, he takes a, a stylus and writes into it. His name is John. Not his name is going to be John. Not I like John. That's my favorite. No, his name is John. Why does he say that? Who named him? When was he named John? The angel. He's already got the name as far as Zechariah is concerned. And with that, he speaks. He pours out praise to God. And for the first time in 400 years, the prophetic voice of God is heard among the people of Israel. The first time God has said anything for 400 years, and it's through Zechariah right there right now after 400 years of silence so what does god say after 400 years of silence and how might that hit us how might that even help us if we're finding waiting for something a little bit difficult at the moment perhaps you're waiting for something we'll see see zechariah has been kind of pregnant himself, if I might put it this way. He's been pregnant with this word of God growing in him, in his spirit. He's been in the silence reflecting on the scriptures. He's been reflecting on his experience with the angel and probably reflecting on his changing wife as, she's, as, the, as the child is growing in her. And then Mary, uh, we, uh, you, if you know the story, Mary had come to see Elizabeth and, and Zechariah with this news of the Messiah being promised to her. Mary had arrived um, uh, three months earlier. And he's reflecting on what she says, as has said to him and, and Elizabeth. 
And now he speaks. And as he speaks, God's word pours out of him. And as the Holy Spirit speaks through Zechariah, we see a couple of big points in the message that he brings, the word he brings, and another point I want to make as well. It should go? Why isn't this going? Right. It's first of all a word. What's this word about? It's a word about what God does. See that? He's praising God. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come and he's redeemed his people. As he praises God, I'm, I think it's reflecting, it's kind, of, it, it's kind of the birth of all he's been thinking and praying and, uh, and mulling over for the whole of those nine months. And the first thing that comes kind of bubbling out of these words of praise, amazing, is the first thing, <laughs> the first thing Zechariah says when he starts speaking. It's not, I told you, it should be John. It's praise to God. It's just a torrent of praise uh, prompted by the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prays. And the first thing that bubbles out of it is this. What does God do? God rescues. Look at that verse 68. He's come and redeemed his people. Now, if you know the story of the Old Testament, there's an echo there from the story of the Exodus. God, when God rescued his people from Egypt. Do you remember that? Do you remember when Moses was called to the job of leading them out of Egypt? What, what God says to him in Exodus chapter 3? He says, I've heard the cry of my people and have come down to rescue them. I've come down to rescue them. I'm, I'm a God who rescues and the, and the first thing that bubbles out from Zechariah's heart as the Holy Spirit kind of moves him is that, the God, that God rescues people. He's rescued Israel in the past and he's going to do something great again. He is the God who hears the cry of the oppressed. He's the God who's passionate for justice. He's the God in the book of Exodus who journeys with his people, leads them through, out of slavery, into his promise. The God of rescue. That's the first thing he says. What does God do? He rescues. Now, how about us? Are you waiting for something? Well, hold on to that truth that God does rescue. He's still the one who comes down. He's still the one who cares. He's still the one who enters into the suffering of his people as he did in Exodus. He's still the God who rescues and will travel with us. Christmas reminds us of that, doesn't it? That God has come into our world to rescue us, to be with us, to make his home among us, just as he did in the story of Exodus. You may be waiting, but this is the God you're waiting for. He does that. And then there comes another connection with the story of Israel. He goes on to talk about um, God who brings government, God who brings kingship, See that there in verse 69? He talks about a horn of salvation. Uh, the horn is the idea of strength, of the, like an animal's horn. He's, uh, God's done something strong in rescuing. And he talks about the house of David. And I suspect that uh, Zechariah has been thinking about the story of the Old Testament of, of David's time, when David was king and Solomon was king. And David's house ruled Israel. And there was good kingship at that time. It was in some ways the golden age of, of God ruling his people through, through his king David and then Solomon. And it was a time of victory over the enemies of Israel. And there's a reference there to God bringing victory again. 
Now, of course, it failed later. That whole monarchy, that whole thing went crashing down because they turned their back on God and the prophets spoke into those failures. But they promised the prophets, and he talks about the prophets here, promised at that time, as that time was failing, they promised that God would one day send a king like David who would be greater and who would bring government and rule into people's lives. And Zechariah is saying, by the Holy Spirit, as God speaks for the first time in 400 years, it's now, says Zechariah, it is happening. How about us as we wait? How could that help us? As we wait, sometimes the waiting process actually shows us or reveals in us that we're conscious of stuff in our lives that is just out of control. We suddenly, be, or we don't suddenly, maybe we gradually emerges that there are things in our lives that are ungovernable, it seems. If ever we needed good kingship and good rule or order or even victory over some of the enemies and the, the things that defeat us, we need that. We need that good government. government. And Zechariah is saying, because Jesus has come, God is, can bring this rule. He can bring his order into our chaos as we wait. He's the one who brings kingship. And of course, as Jesus comes, he, all the time he's talking, what about the kingdom of God? He's introducing himself as the one who's come to bring in God's kingdom, to enable a, a new kind of government in our lives, if you like, over those things that are so often ungovernable, us, <laughs> to be brought into God's, under God's care and God's rule. And Zechariah, as one, has not just been thinking about David, he's not just been thinking about Moses, he's obviously been thinking about Abraham as well. Look, in verse 73, he talks about the holy covenant and the oath he swore to our father Abraham. God promised Abraham on oath that he would bless the world through Abraham. And uh, Zechariah reflects on Abraham's experience of walking with God without fear. Abraham walked his whole life with God. They, they journeyed together around the land that God would one day give Abraham's descendants. And Zechariah says, God's doing that for us now. The Holy Spirit says through Zechariah, he's saying God keeps promises. God keeps his promises. He remains faithful to his covenant. The covenant he makes, the agreement he makes stands. He won't renege on his promises. If you're waiting for something, hold on to that. This God that you're waiting for. Or that maybe you don't understand in the wait, keeps his promises. He does. He won't abandon you. He brings kingship. He rescues. And as the waiting ends, the Holy Spirit breaks the silence. And he says, this is what God does. This is what God's like. He comes and rescues. He brings his kingly rule. He keeps his promises. And Zechariah sees it. He's right there as it breaks in. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, that breaking in of God into our world. So in the waiting, hold on to what God does. Hold on to what God's like. You might be waiting for answers. You might be waiting for change in some way. You might be waiting for revival, personal, corporate, natural, natural I don't know. You may be waiting for something else. God is true to himself. He's the one who comes to rescue he is the God of kingly rule in our lives.
Now, Zechariah, as he speaks, is on the brink of God's great movement. He's saying the waiting is over. Three months from the time he says this, Jesus is going to be born. That's what's kind of the excitement. Uh, Luke chapter 2 tells us all about that. So what God does, but also within this word from the Holy Spirit through Zechariah, there's this idea of what God gives. Did you notice that? God gives things here. You see, Zechariah, as the Holy Spirit speaks through him, that he's saying, God is saying, um, I'm actively doing something. God is doing something. And John's, uh, sorry, Zechariah's boy, John, is going to be part of what God is doing right there, right then, at that point in history. And see what the Holy Spirit says about what God gives. He says, the Lord is coming. You, my child, will be called, verse 76, a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And then he goes on as he's singing. He may well be singing here in this. He sings about what's coming with this Lord. His boy John is going to prepare the way for the Lord who's coming. What is this Lord going to bring with him? What is he going to give? Well, verse 77, to give his people the knowledge of salvation. See, not just to know that God has done something, not to know that God can rescue people generally, but to have that knowledge of salvation in our own personal experience. That's what God gives. That's what he does. That's what he gives. That's what comes as Jesus comes into the world. The opportunity of knowing God's salvation in our experience. How? Verse 77. Through the forgiveness of sins. To know forgiveness at that deep, deep level. To know that there is nothing between me and God or you and God. No matter what it is I may have done. No matter where I may have come from, that there can be nothing between us and God, that we can be completely and totally and freely forgiven. Forgiveness is a massive theme, isn't it, across literature and across uh, all kinds of places, you know, musicals, I think like that, or films. Forgiveness is a big, big theme. Why is it such a big theme? Because we need it. We know that we need it. Les Miserables, that's a kind of all about grace and forgiveness. The whole, whole thing kind of hinges on it. That's why it's not just great music. There's something else going in, in great works of art like that. Because they resonate with us, with what we are as people. We need to know that we are forgiven. Because we have consciences and they trouble us. And deep down we need to know forgiveness. And, and John, in his, as the Holy Spirit kind of bursts God's word out of John, as it's kind of born in this prophecy, he's saying God gives forgiveness of sins. Verse 78 tells us a bit more. To know it says God's mercy. Mercy, what a lovely word. The picture there of, of feeling the sun when it comes up in a dark place. Have you ever been somewhere where it's really dark? Did you hear, hear about the Kilda Forest? You know, the, the dark space of Kilda Forest where it's completely dark. Have you been, ever been anywhere where it's been completely dark as the sun's come up? Where it's, it's dark and cold and 
dark and cold and then gradually the sun comes up. I remember once we were up uh, in, in, in Nepal, looking at, um, uh, up in a, had to get up before the sunrise to see the sun coming up over these mountains and, and they're, they're pink because they're snow covered and they're pink as the sun comes up. But before you get there at like four o'clock in the morning, get up about, you know, half past two or three o'clock or something, it's, oh dear, it's dreadful. You feel terrible, it's cold and it's dark and it's, but as the sun comes up, whoa. And then it gets warmer as you get to about, you know, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, and then the day kind of begins. And that's that image of forgiveness, of God's mercy like the rising sun. It's another reference to Malachi, the prophecy of Malachi, um, where it talks about uh, the sun uh, rising with healing in its wings. It's a picture of God's salvation, God's mercy bringing life. The picture here is of people living, it says in verse 79, in darkness, living in the shadow of death, a kind of shadow land of gloom and death. And Jesus comes bringing light and life. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Bible talks about us being dead in sins, doesn't it? That's a phrase. And what it means is that our rebellion against God as human beings and the stuff that we do wrong, the stuff that we feel guilty about, kind of comes out of that place where we, we, we kind of don't want God's rule in our lives and we've rebelled against him. Well, that's killed our spiritual life, the Bible says. Because of that, we're like dead spiritually. We're dead to God in, a, in, a, in the deepest, most fundamental level. And, and the Bible says this. It says the wages of sin is death. That's why we live in this kind of shadow land, because of sin. Individual, corporate, all over the shop, because of the human race has fallen and, and rebelled against God. But he goes on to say the gift of God is eternal life. Life through Jesus. A gift, that's that mercy word. It talks about mercy here, doesn't it? When we're given something completely undeserved, that's mercy. You know, when we deserve punishment and we get a reward, well, that's mercy. Or when somebody says, does something that we just don't deserve it, we have mercy. And God gives his salvation. God gives his forgiveness. God gives light. God gives life to us. And he offers it as a gift of his mercy. If we turn from what's wrong, if we turn to him, if we repent, if we trust ourselves to Jesus and receive the gift that he offers us, just like the gift at Christmas, you have to receive it. If you don't receive it, you don't get it. Same thing with God's salvation. And then there's another thing he's given. See here, verse uh, 79, to guide our feet into the path of peace. See, as we follow Jesus, as we turn from our, our, ourselves at the center of our lives, as we turn from what's wrong, as we put it to one side and follow him, then we live, we walk in his path. We follow in him in his way so that his characteristics, his truth, his person becomes the kind of center point of our lives. And, and we live differently in his way of peace, out of love and out of loyalty to him. That's what God gives. That's what God gives us now if we'll receive it. What God does, what God gives in the waiting time, 
if you're waiting, don't let go of what he's already given you if you're a believer. The knowledge of his salvation, the light of the rising sun, the life in him, the forgiveness of sins that you have, the chance to walk in the way of peace with Jesus. Don't let go of those things as you wait. Sometimes waiting is overwhelmingly difficult. And at those times, we just kind of, just want to, we kind of let go of those things. Don't keep, keep going with him. Now, the third thing, and this is very brief indeed, and it's not actually in the prophetic word, but it pops into it in verse 76. This is how God works. I love that little phrase in the middle of it where um, Zechariah looks at his little baby son, John, and says, and you, my child, my boy, my son, you are going to be part of it. You see, God, how does God work? He works through people. People like Zechariah. People who fail. You know, Zechariah, he's just come out of this enforced silence because he really blew it with the angel. All his life he'd been in the temple, he'd been um, giving incense, you know, he'd been praying to God, he'd been trusting God. The very day when he really needed to hold on to it, it, it abandoned, it, it, he lost it completely. Didn't believe the angel, ended up in this nine-month silence. Yet God doesn't say, Zechariah, I'm okay. I'll go and, you know, someone else is going to be the father of John the Baptist then. No, not at all. In fact, God brings even, you know, Zechariah's failure, this, 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 this word of, of praise and prophecy kind of comes out of his failure, doesn't it, actually? And uh, I just love these references around here um, to... Uh, people who live in communities lots of references to the neighbors and what the friends and what the family thought and and there's all this stuff about everyone in the hill country of judea knew what was going on and it's a great picture that's how it is isn't it in rural communities that's how it is in in places that connect uh, uh, we're not so good at it in western cities but you know that's uh, that's how it is people who live in communities god works through these ordinary people people like us People like me, people like you, God works through us. In one sense, you know, we're not waiting, are we? The king has come. We're living the other side of the birth of Jesus. We can receive what God promises, what God gives. All that uh, Zechariah has been talking about, we can know in our lives. It's not a future event that's coming. Jesus has come. We can have that forgiveness. We can have that life. We can have that walking in his ways. So in one sense, we, we uh, are not waiting and in our struggles. We need to hold on to that. But in other ways, we do still wait, as Jesus reminded us last week. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for Jesus to come back. He promised to return. These season, these, this Advent season has this idea of looking forward to, to the, the, the child who came or celebrating the child who came, but looking forward to the king who will return. So we're waiting for that. We're waiting for the end of the ages and for creation to be liberated. We wait for prayers to be answered. We wait for questions to be satisfied. When in the hang, in the waiting rather, we need to hang in there, don't we, with the God who keeps his promises, the God who still comes into our situations. Christmas tells us that very, very clearly.
So let's not lose that amidst all the activities. Christmas tells us about what God does, about what God gives, and about how God works in ordinary lives like yours and mine. Let's continue to respond in worship and praise and as we uh, later reflect that the God who uh, Zechariah by the Spirit says keeps his promises, his covenant. This table, uh, this meal we're about to share in a moment or two is all about God's covenant promise fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's continue to worship him.